Hi everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Hi everyone, welcome to Writing Works Wonders. Today I'm flying solo. Kathy is traveling to New England states, however, She's going to be in the Albany area tomorrow evening, so I'll be traveling north with my husband and guide dog Raven to have dinner with her along the Hudson River, including Kathy and John Farina. This will be the first time I meet John and Kathy, and it'll be my second time in person with Kathy King. So I'm sure we'll have lots of photos, and Kathy will be posting some of them up on our website. <laughs> Today, we are turning the tables on ACB Media's Sunday edition host, Anthony Corona. I'm going to be asking him some questions, and so are you. Anthony is not only a talented freelance writer, he is also a past editor of the East Coast Entertainment Associated Press. Say that fast five times. <laughs> Last year, he was the recipient of the J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows Award, and in 2022, he is the recipient of the Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award. We are going to have a lot of fun today. Anthony's going to talk to us a little bit about what he did before, what happened, and what he's doing now. Anthony, welcome! Thank you. I feel so... Welcome, welcome, welcomed. <laughs> Got to throw in my catchphrase. <laughs> yes, thank you. You lost your sight as an adult. So tell us about your career as a journalist, entertainment editor, and then lead us into what happened. Sure. Well, you know, I feel like I've had a couple of different lives. I started playing playing baseball when I was four years old. Back then, they didn't have terms like ADD or ADHD. And I am pretty sure if I were to pay for an evaluation at this point in my adult life, I would probably be somewhere on the ADHD scale. My parents, in frustration, wanted to have an activity for me to do. We tried a couple of different things, and baseball really stuck. So all through high school, college, I was actually scouted in college for a minor league ball team called the Maryland Blue Crabs. And uh, we were in the process of, of negotiations when I blew out my knee during a game. Mm -hmm. I played for Hofstra University. But backing up a little bit, you know, while I was in high school, I, I worked on the newspaper, um, I worked on the yearbook and, and did a lot of writing. And when I really think about it, I think I've been writing my entire life. When we were kids, I used to come up with these elaborate plays for us based on cartoons or movies. I know The Goonies was a huge childhood movie for me. So there was definitely at least one summer where we went on all kinds of crazy made up adventures, you know, based on The Goonies and, and my little ragtag band of friends. And that really started my storytelling. When I was in high school, I took a little detour. Senior year, Debbie Gibson was releasing the album Body, Mind, and Soul, and I mm -hmm. went and auditioned for a backing dancer in two of the videos, which I got. I got to go on a promotional tour with her and dancing. So that in baseball was my life. Once uh, the accident with the knee, one of my professors who had actually become pretty much a friend at that point 
had said to me, you know, you're a writer, you're a journalist. This is, you know, this is where you want to put your focus. You know, at that moment, I was a little bit lost in grief of, of my baseball career. So I, I didn't really pay much attention, but you know, I'd always journaled, I'd always wrote. And so I started writing for the Hofstra radio station. I wrote promos and jingles and copy for, you know, the little news show that we put on back then. And little by little, I started taking some journalism classes. Not long after I graduated, um, I went out for a job with a newspaper in New York, New York City called The Village Voice. It's, it's very well known across the country. At that point, there were probably about 15,000 subscribers across the rest of the nation. But it, it focused on arts and culture and political leanings for New York City. And I spent some time with them and I, I really, really enjoyed it. And then a headhunter actually contacted me for the Associated Press. At the time, they were for an arts and cultures reporter. But the news business was changing and changing and changing yet again. And it continued to change my entire career. You know, the explosion of the Internet just kept changing the business. So by the time mm -hmm. I sat down for an interview with them, they were actually looking for the arts and cultures editor. And I was very happy at the Village Voice, so I kind of did what a lot of artists will do and wrote up a writer. I thought of all the things that I wanted, and one of the biggest things was I felt it was very hard for me to write in the office. Most offices in New York City at that time were open cubicle plans, three, sometimes four walls, but you never really had your own door and you didn't have ceilings. So mm -hmm. everything that was going on on that floor, you could hear. And I found it very hard to write in, in a setting like that. So one of the biggest things was I wanted to be able to work from home at least two days a week so I could get the bulk of whatever writing I needed to get done, you know, in the privacy and, and quiet of my own home. And I asked for a, a very big salary <laughs> at that point <laughs> for, for a young kid. I was, you know, I really didn't think I was, they would give it to me. So I just kind of asked for everything I wanted. And besides two smaller items, they offered me everything I wanted. And I was with the Associated Press for about nine months when they asked me to temporarily take over the entertainment division while, you know, they restructured, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always been, um, I'm a type A personality, so I've always been good at the managerial functions, setting schedules, writing performance reviews, making sure that, you know, when you work, when you work in the news, you have to have confirmation for anything that you print that is a stated quote or statistic or, let me put it this way, just about every other line in an article needs to have some sort of confirmation filed so that if you're ever sued, you have backup as to where you got your information, especially anything that you're quoting from an individual or an office or a team or any of that. And so what, what was supposed to be, you know, a few months for them to find a new editor turned into a little over 10 years of, of running the department. I was the East Coast Entertainment Manager. Six years ago, this, this past March, I uh, developed shingles, and at the same time, my dad had passed away. I didn't have a rash on my body. I was getting like these, almost akin to what people call floaters. Mm -hmm. I was seeing little flashes and little things go across my vision, but my dad had recently retired. He had moved from New York to Virginia Beach. I was going back and forth, and, and then, of course, he suddenly passed away, so when all of this started happening. I, I really had no clue. There was, you know, there was no outside rash. It turns out the shingles was in the tissues in my head, in my brain, my eyes. Mm -hmm. 
my ears and my nose. In fact, the swelling in my brain tissue was bad enough that they ended up having to do a quick surgery to relieve some of the pressure. But unfortunately, it was too late for my eyes. A couple of years before that, I'm also an adrenaline junkie. And I used to do white water raft. You know, I've done Colorado, Costa Rica. And I had had an accident a couple of years before that where I had bilateral, which is both eyes, retina detachment. So at that point, I stopped doing a lot of extreme stuff because they told me, you know, once your retina detaches, you're always in jeopardy of it happening again. You know, you have to change your lifestyle. You have to be more careful, of which I did for the most part. (laughs) Didn't stop me from going out and dancing and drinking until, you know, four o'clock in the morning, getting Mm -hmm. home as quickly as possible, shower changing and going back to work. But it did stop me from, you know, jumping off of cliffs and, you know, whitewater rafting and things like that. It was basically too late by the time I got to New York Eye and Ear. My brain, my soul didn't want to believe what they were telling me. I ended up having six surgeries where they thought that they could save a fraction of my vision. And they did in my left eye. It deteriorated rather rapidly. But in the very beginning, I could still see outlines, really, really bright colors. But after six surgeries, I understood what they were telling me, which was basically, you know, there's nothing left that we can do. And started to understand the miracle wasn't going to happen, at least not in that form. And so the Associated Press at that point had given me a lot of time. I I was on an official sabbatical. They were giving me, at at first, they were paying me all my vacation time and all my accrued time. Then they were paying me at a half rate, and I was doing just scheduling and stuff from my house. And basically what I was doing was using my niece as eyes. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know about Jaws or anything. So, Mm -hmm. you know, she was sitting at the computer telling me what was on the computer. I was telling her what to do, and I'm making half Mm -hmm. my money paying her to help me because even though she's my niece, you know, she's giving me hours Mm -hmm. and hours worth of time. So eventually we ended up parting ways. I subsequently still consult and, and write freelance for them. And I transitioned into learning how to be an independent blind person. And over the last few years, I've, I've written several articles, several short stories. I wrote <laughs> under a pen name back when I still had sight. I wrote three romance novels under the silk impression, <laughs> which was a mm. lot of fun. They were serials. So at the mm. time, the first one I got was the closing of that series. It was a five-book series. It was a group of sisters written in the early 1800s. The group of five sisters moved out west to find cowboy husbands. And I got to close out that series, which meant I had to read all four of the the previous writers. Back then, I think it's a little bit different now, but back then, you know, there wasn't as much oversight. So one writer would write a character one way, and in book three, that character would be completely different. So I had to try to gleam which led to two more novels with them, which is a good chunk of money. When you write under the impressions, you, you get a nice little paycheck. I have been working on a novel for the last about a year and a half, and it is nothing. It is not a romance novel. It's like nothing I've ever I've ever written before. But it's an idea I've had since I was in high school. Uh, I originally envisioned it as an HBO series or you know, at the time, Sex and the City and, and um, The Sopranos were reigning king on, on TV. So this idea that I'm working on, it's it's the story of David from King David from the Bible, David and Goliath. 
And he's reincarnated over and over again through, you know, the successive generations until he makes reparations to all that he wronged in his life as David. So I'm, I, you know, I'm in the first edit process right now. I am really excited. I have a lot of interest for the book. So stay tuned. Hopefully you guys will have me back sometime next year when it's published. Yeah. And that's, that's a quick overview, I think, of, of my career. I'm still back at Debbie Gibson and you beat it. <laughs> yeah, um, it was her fourth like, album. Yes, it, I it, wanted it, to do that. That's, that's so cool. But anyway, was, that's not writing. But <laughs> Let me just say, though, it was absolutely yeah. wild. It was 1993 yeah. into 94. Yeah. She had decided, yeah. you know, she wanted to be Deborah. It was absolutely amazing. And it ignited mm-hmm. my love for travel. So, you know, working for the Associated Press, I had to do mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. traveling. I feel like I'm a very lucky person. Everything that that happened along the journey of my life seemed to have prepared me for something else in life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm trying to figure out now, not that I spend a lot of energy on it, but I'm trying to figure out what the blindness curve in my, you know, in my path is going to ultimately lead to. When you said, I didn't know it was shingles. It was like, boom, I just hit a wall and I said um, to myself, I'm going to get my shot immediately because I've had it and I didn't have any of the rash either. And I have it reoccurring. Wow. We just keep plugging even now with Writing Works Wonders here, getting this award. You know, Kathy and I have only been together a little over a year, but we both have been working very hard all our lives for in different careers and brought us to where we are today. I appreciate you, Anthony, very much. And I love getting to know you more all the time. (laughs) Thank you so much. You know, I feel like I have to do this public service announcement. And every once in a while, I'll remind folks on Sunday Mm -hmm. edition, if you are ever diagnosed with shingles and it's in your scalp, if it's on your neck, if it, you know, in your upper extremities, Mm -hmm. please go get your eyes and ears checked because it can be in the tissues and you have no idea it's there. And 90% of the time, I, I just barely escaped also having vertigo. Please go get yourself checked out because if it is caught at in time, there's a mm. lot that they can at least save. Chanel, first is Lisa G. Thank you so much uh, for coming on and speaking to us, Anthony. One thing I really want to commend you on is is what I do too. My blindness does not define me, and it does. I see clearly. It does not define you, and it's like we have a life and we are a person, and we have a, a disadvantage at times with things. But, uh, you know, our life is more challenging than most people's. But, you know, I love, I love how you started off. It wasn't like, you know, from your blindness perspective, it's just like, this is my life. And then this happened. And I appreciate that. And, um, I like, I like listening to your podcast. You have such a variety on that's uh, wonderful to listen to. And I'd like to know, how do you plan for your guests? How do you, do you have something? Do you do it a year in advance? Does it just come as you go? Is it a, Do you have themes for a month? How is it that you plan that out so well? That is a journey every single week. I try to plan out about three weeks in advance. Um, You know, and and for the first two years, obviously, you know, I started right before the pandemic uh, or right as the pandemic was becoming, you know, we were all inside. So for the first two years, that worked really well. But I found, you know, this last year, January through through where we are now, I've had a lot of um, last minute cancellations and things. So I'm I'm trying to move into planning out, you know, about two months ahead. But I keep a, a lot of backup ideas always ready to go so I can slide in. 
you know, Cheryl can tell you every once in a while I get a cancellation on a Thursday and it's like, all right, I've got to fill at least one of these hours. So in some once in a while, the show is is a full topic for two hours, you know, and I'll reach out to friends in the community and or ideas that somebody's supposed to be on in three weeks. But, you know, I just got this last minute cancellation. But I keep an open document of, of ideas and, and folks that I've spoken to. And that's kind of how I plan for it. You find that scheduling, doing this now as a blind person compared to sight, um, finding different ways to create these schedules and put your agenda together. How do you do it? So I think it's a lot different for those of us that that lost sight midlife. I remember what the computer screens look like. And, you know, I personally use Mac now because it's just a lot easier from the knowledge base uh, with the Associated Press. We were Mac based for, you know, for our internal software. Um, and we also had PCs. So you were jumping from one to the other. I find a lot of the productivity tools actually take so much more time than creating my own documents using things like Teams and the to-do planners and all that. Mm. I have tried so many different planning apps. I basically use my calendar and an open pages document to to keep my schedule mm-hmm. straight. Thanks. That's what Kathy and I have found has been easy, easier. Okay, Chanel, Annie? Yes, right? Annie Geppetta. Hi, Anthony. How you doing? Hey, my New York buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Annie I... is the first ACB person I ever met. <laughs> oh, how nice. Yeah. I, Anthony, I want to mm-hmm. tell you, I, I, you, I have watched you grow. I feel like, I feel like your big sister. I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you're an entertainer. You're a born entertainer and you've You've grown so much and you've achieved so much and it just makes me, I just want to tell you, it's just a wonderful thing to have been part of that in some small way. And so congratulations to you and, and, and the future is yours. And it's just really great to, um, to say that to you. You know, I've wanted to ask you for a while, how scared did I sound in that conversation? Because <laughs> <laughs> I literally was dripping sweat down my back. It was, you know, d- July 2nd or whatever it was in, in New York, in Rochester, and I was scared poopless. <laughs> I couldn't tell. I just, I felt frustration from you. Like you were frustrated. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, should we help him? I'm like, I don't know. And you were on the <laughs> phone with somebody we didn't know. And you were talking to somebody and it sounded like you were, you were, you know, so we're like, what do we do? I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, was, it was, but um, we, we knew you were okay. We were kind of like, my husband was, you know, I'm like, is he okay? And he's like, yeah, he's okay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> It was just one of those, we didn't want to intrude on your discovery, you know, we, you know, and I knew that you had traveled and everything. So that wasn't the problem. You had Bodhi with you that, you know, that was good. And, you know, we just, we just watched you from a distance and made sure that you were safe. And that's what New Yorkers do for each other, you know? Hmm. That sounds like my husband and me. We did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to actually ask you two things. Well, one thing about do you have an agent have you ever thought about an agent do you do all your own promotional stuff like when you reach out you talked about you know silk impressions how did you get get into all of that could you share some some tips for us 
I actually did have an agent for a couple of years. With the Associated Press, a lot of anything that was journalistic, human interest, etc., they had first refusal. So anything that I was working on independently, you know, I would have to present to them, even if it wasn't entertainment. I could have been doing an op-ed piece. I still had to present it to them before I could sell it anywhere else. So after a few years, I realized I know a lot of people in the business. This The agent wasn't as aggressive as I would have liked her to be. And my career and entertainment was really picking up, you know, around the time that that Michael Jackson passed away. We were in that, think about that time period. It was all Lindsay Lohan, the Kardashians. Um, You know, so what went from being the division, the entertainment division ended up being taking out sports. The entertainment division was double the revenue for the Associated Mm -hmm. Press of all the other divisions combined. Like I said, Mm -hmm. taking out sports. So at the same time, you know, we were losing staff. There was a hiring freeze. So when I, you know, when I started the department, we had four research assistants, seven, uh, you know, seven copy page editor. We had a full staff. By the time I left, I only had 14 people in my entire department. So, uh, you know, my side writing took, <laughs> took a backseat, basically. Mm. Um, the, the romance novels were actually an accident. I went to a writer's retreat given by my absolute favorite all-time ever author, Ms. Madeline Langle. And I was sitting next to a guy, and, and he's like, yeah, you know, I've been writing romance novels. And he told me how much he was making, and I was like, okay, hook me up. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it wasn't quite that easy, but it was almost that easy. And literally nine months to the day, I got my first check. Next up is Miss Ruth Williams. <laughs> Hi, Anthony. Miss Ruth. Hi. Uh, it's so nice hearing you on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> Thank you. It's strange, though. <laughs> My question is, um, since your time writing with the Associated Press, do you feel their style has changed? And more broadly, how has professional writing and reporting changed since that time? Yes. Journalism itself has changed. You know, when you think about even, let's go back 10 years before the, the 2016 cycle. Um, reporting was more in depth. You got more of the actual story rather than clips and, and, you know, buzzworthy packages. With the internet rapidly growing in the late, uh, the late 1990s and early 2000s, the business just kept changing. You know, ad revenue money is what drives, you know, most of, most of the news outlets, Um, And so you kind of had to pander to where your ad revenue was coming from. But also this horrible, horrible word came in to, you know, to being you needed, and I'm doing air quotes, clicks. So Mm -hmm. you had to start writing in a way that was going to grab attention, especially on the entertainment side. Not as much, but, but definitely also in the political arena as well. Things like arts and culture, which I probably would have gone back to if if I didn't lose my sight. Um, I was trying to groom somebody. I, I was burned out on the entertainment side of things. I, I used to say, if I have to type the name Kardashian one more time, I'm going to throw this <laughs> computer out the window. You know, but you had to start writing to to get people to click. You had to start writing to get people to to want to read what you're putting out there. And when you're competing with amateur writers, and I don't mean that disrespectfully in any way, shape, or form, but blogs were coming up and you had all of these civilian reporters, especially in the entertainment division, you had fans who were dressing themselves up as as true reporters. And so, you know, the business 
the business had to find a way to, to compete with that. And, and it became more and more salacious, more and more, uh, you know, clickbaitable rather than a fully fleshed story. And, and I don't, I honestly, I think about this often. I don't know where I would be in the news business, if at all, at this point you know, had I stayed with the Associated Press. I loved, loved, love, and still do the company itself. But news is a lot different than, than when I entered the business. Absolutely. Next up, we have Callie. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you very much for allowing me to ask a question. I used to work in television news before I lost my vision, but I was always on the technical side. And one of the things I always wished I could do was write. And all throughout my high school and college years, I was always a C student in English. I was good in math and the sciences, but English was just not my thing. And I can recognize good writing when I read it. But Anthony, what would you recommend for someone who would like to write? How would I become a better writer? Right. Just right. Really? That's really just... just no. Put um, in, no. <laughs> no, honestly, no, no. Write every day. Open a page document, a Word document, start a journal. I have about five different journals, actually. You know, when, I'm, when I want to kind of play around with an idea, I go into that certain journal. You know, when, when I'm really just wanting to self-explore, I have, you know, my diary journal. First and foremost, you know, first and foremost, write every day. But let me ask you this. What kind of writing really speaks to you? You're talking about like personally, like if I'm reading something, I like fantasy and I like biographies. And I know those are two polar opposites. So, um, you know, read. Go ahead. Read a okay. lot of fantasy stuff and then go back after you've read something and start reading it from an, a writer slash editorial perspective. Follow the the character growth, follow the dialogue chains and how that specific author is writing dialogue and things like that. Um, for me, I've, I've published over 400 short stories. Uh, I wow. love I love the short story format. Um, and, and that's a great way for, for people to start honing their talent, find writers groups, something like writing works wonders is extremely, um, supportive and a great environment to be in, find writers mm -hmm. groups and just write. Don't worry. You know, there's, and I'm a horrible, I know I had the title, but I'm a horrible editor. I hate doing it. <laughs> I got, I got um, but don't really worry about the editorial get your story out get your you know get your characters moving in the places you want them to go play with the dialogue have fun with it and and don't worry about commas and and dangling participles and all of the things that an editor is <laughs> right. to. and little by little you know some of the writers workshops and groups you'll edit someone else's story and they'll be editing yours and things like, you know, just write and write and write. And, okay. you know, you can feel free to send me some stuff. I have got a lot of friends in the business, so, you know. Okay. For full realization, though, is there a point where someone should say, okay, Callie, you're not a good writer and cut your losses and, like, you know, find your talent somewhere else? I mean, like I said, like, I was always a C student with English and college and high school, but good with the sciences and math. So is that, will it come a point where it's like, yeah, you're, this is not for you. Could that happen? Yes. Um, I, I like to see that writing is 90% the inner voice and 10% the technicality. It's, it's a learned skill to build a, a structure in the writing and to 
write and edit at the same time or, you know, write knowing that you're writing in the structure. If you're a person with fan with great fanciful ideas, you're already a writer. You know, 90% of us in on this planet are actually writers. We just don't know how to technically do it. The technicality you can always learn. It's it's really it's really learning your story craft or, you know, if you're writing more nonfiction, learning the basics of, of whatever type of writing you're writing in that space. But, I, you know, for someone who speaks of, of having struggled with English, I always say write stories. Write stories, become adept at, at fleshing out, you know, the core of, of what you want to tell in the story, the character, the arc of development for the characters. The technicality will come later. Um, okay. And you are the only one who can tell you you're not a writer. If you believe and, and you put mm-hmm. the time and effort in, you'll eventually get something published. I truly do believe that. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the encouragement and for the advice. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks, Callie. Thank Mm you. I'd like to piggyback, Anthony, that we're very creative in our minds. And what I struggled with was getting that from my mind to the paper, to the computer. I used to try and do a lot of story, but then once I got into dialogue and just starting a new line, every the people were having dialogue, it, it really helped me to become more comfortable and then i also think about the guy who wrote the the story about queen elizabeth and then had it become a movie and he was 80 something years old so you just never know (laughs) absolutely you know and as far as dialogue i I always say learning to write dialogue the best way you can learn to write dialogue is by reading dialogue you know Mm -hmm. And, and honestly one of the best one of the best genres to learn that in is the romance genre or a cozy mystery. There's a lot of dialogue yes. in books like that. And you see yes. the techniques that different writers will use to break up dialogue and to to draw yes. the reader into the mind of the characters. But you see the techniques and then as you're as you're creating your own story, you find you know some of those techniques and you tweak them for yourself. The best way to learn to write dialogue is to read dialogue. Yeah, and rather than he said, she said, I was reading Janet DeLeon last night. <laughs> I'm doing a, a binge listening to all of her books again in the Fortune series. And I was hysterical, just laughing. Of course, I couldn't get to sleep because I was laughing so hard. There's a lot of dialogue, and that has really helped me. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. You know, I ran an LGBT group for a long time, a creative writing group in New York. Mm-hmm. And with the high school students, it, I would be frustrated on one side, but I would be laughing my head off because it would be, he said, she replied, he said, she mm-hmm. thought, that, you know, and, and it's like, you know, three pages <laughs> in and I'm like, there, there are so many other adjoinders to, to use. This is really, you yeah. know, you know and, yeah. I, and I always ended up doing two or three weeks worth of dialogue coaching. And I would put folks against each other, two chairs facing each other. And I'd say, okay, read, you know, and, and I would print out that back in the day when you actually, you know, printed out things, mm-hmm. I'd print out two mm-hmm. copies, you know, and then I would have the, the rest of the group kind of critique. Okay. What else can you use to adjoin? this dialogue take out mm-hmm. eight of the ten he says and she replied etc you know what else can we use how can we merge some of this dialogue so that it flows mm-hmm. you know and all things like that and in your own you know in your own writing play around with it just because you feel like it's you're not conveying and all of us go through this we feel like we're mm-hmm. not really conveying all the dialogue sounds so stupid but then you read it with friends and you realize okay it, it it really is driving the story forward and 
there are other ways to express this. You know, when you're sometimes mm-hmm. we're too in our own head. We do we need outside mm-hmm. perspective. And even just having someone yeah. else read your work back to you, a lot of times mm-hmm. you'll it'll spark idea, or at least it does for me. And and I know mm-hmm. a lot of writers have said the same thing. You know, it will spark other ways to to work what you're trying to say. And allowing the reader the intelligence to know that if a conversation is between two people, just start a new line for the other person and the conversation is back and forth and you can follow it because you get to know how one person's speaking, how the other one is. And I even do that in my chapter books. We're allowing them to know who's talking, who's who's yes. got the conversation going, right? The trickiest <laughs> thing for me is melding dialogue with inner thought, you know, yes. and creating mm-hmm. those rejoinders. Um, mm-hmm. that is, that's the hardest thing for me personally. Mm. Um, you know, and a lot of times I'll have, uh, one of my cousins read back to me because even when I'm reading it, I'm still hearing my voice in my head or what I think my character's voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. And a lot mm-hmm. of times just hearing another person's because they're, they're interpreting as they're reading mm-hmm. it for you and right. they're going into the world that you're creating. And the, the best, the best advice that I also give is, There's a very fine balance where you're telling the reader too much. I absolutely love Anne Rice, but when she is three pages into describing a a living room, I'm like, okay, (laughs) let me move to the next action. I did not need to know what the stitching on the gold brocade pillow looked like and the the light touching that the, you know, after three pages of of a room, I'm like, okay, uh, where's Lestat? Uh Let me find him. I don't know if this is what you're saying. If I'm creating a story and then all of a sudden the person is thinking something, is that what you're saying? Or just how the person will speak aloud in the book or saying, I'm thinking about this or that person must be imagining something in their head. Yeah, sort of like the inner the inner monologue that's happening in dialogue. I find that so very challenging. And, and that's something I've been working mm-hmm. on for the last couple of months. Like the previous person said, there's only so many times that you can find a substitute for she replied. The the old adage when, when, you're, when you're writing dialogue and you're kind of stuck and you only need one or two more pieces of dialogue that you throw that adjoinder sentence in. He turned handing her the plate of cookies. Sometimes worrying about it too much makes it feel unnatural. And... Mm-hmm. You know, the goal is to create enough of a world so that the reader finishes the world in their own imagination. Yeah. You know, and, and if we if we try to tell the reader too much what to feel and think, we're not allowing them to, to have their own an imaginative space within the stories that we're writing. Carla Hayes. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, Anthony, you've always been an inspiration to me, and I have a lot of respect for you. You know, your compassion, your skill, your personality, and I'm always going to be one of your number one fans. And I'm glad I got to finally shake your hand at the convention and keep up the good work. I really back at you. What inspires you as a writer? And the second, and this is why I say this is sort of related. If you experience writer's block, and maybe you don't, but if sometimes you experience um, writer's block, how do you get yourself unstuck? What unsticks you? Those are great questions. I think most writers will tell you everything inspires them. I really can't pinpoint something of other writers for sure inspire me. A lot of times I'll be listening to a program, a movie or something, and there'll, there'll be something happening that I'm 
already rewriting it in my head, imagining, you know, what would be the outcome if they had gone in this direction instead. And that will end up leading me to other ideas. I, I don't think, I'm pretty sure, no one's ever accused me of it. I, I don't think I've ever stolen anything from anyone else, but I have been inspired by, by other creators incredibly. I've been inspired, you know, walking outside and I, I overhear a conversation and it, it just, it, it puts an idea into my head. The sound of kids playing, I, everything inspires me. I don't experience writer's block often and, and I am so thankful for that too. But what I do experience is a form of writer's block where I'm getting too frustrated trying to figure out how to say what I want to say. And often I'll just close the laptop lid, put on music, and just sing my heart out. I'll take Bodhi out for a walk or something. I do much better when I multitask. So I might be needing to write up something for a BPI or so I'll go do something else and come back to it. I honestly, I wish I could tell you that there was something tried and true that always works, but usually putting it out of my head and then coming back to it. And often, you know, for me, I'll, I'll come back to it a couple hours later within the same day and it's still kind of in that mode. So then I force myself, I say, okay, I'm going to stop thinking about this. And you know, when, you know, when you're, you're trying to remember a, a friend's name from high school or something that's like escaped you and you stop thinking about it. And then an hour later you're, you know, you're crying over, you know, the latest ASPCA commercial and suddenly it pops into your head Mm-hmm. That's always worked for me. I, so I, I wish I could tell you more tried and true methods. Let's go to Circu. Hi, Circu. Hi, Anthony. Hi, everyone. I just popped in. Uh, I just wanted to thank you, Anthony, for, for um, of course, you have to sit down and write. And like like you said, you get frustrated and cannot get out what you want uh, on paper or a computer. But... And that, that's how I write my songs. I haven't written many stories, but the ones I have, it's kind of... Oh, uh, yes. You are a storyteller. You are yeah. a poet. I am mm-hmm. very sure you could write some great fiction. It, that old adage, if you can't do, you teach. I, I really <laughs> hate that phrase, except when it comes to frustrated writers... I have found a lot of English professors and high school teachers and those that are in the English teaching profession that are are very frustrated writers. I truly believe in many, many writers out there will tell you that it's 90% your storytelling ability and being able to live in a story. And the technicality is only 10%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I was thinking about inspiration because I I was thinking, you said, Everything can inspire you. I'm an inspiration writer. You said, write every day. I, I just don't want to write if I don't have anything to say. <laughs> People <laughs> always keep telling me that's not the way you should do it. Or, mm-hmm. or they tell me, write about this. And it just doesn't work like that. But mm-hmm. I know that's, that's how it should be with me. But uh, it's interesting to hear you uh, mm-hmm. I used to tell my students, if you can't Mm. think of anything to write about, just be still Mm. and close your eyes and find a sound or just be still and Mm -hmm. look around and find something that catches your eye Mm -hmm. and and just build five paragraphs off of that. The tick, tick, tick Mm -hmm. of a clock, the drip, drip, drip of the drain, anything, you know, and and just, just write a couple of paragraphs about that. 
it, it's a muscle inside your brain, the creative, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and the more you use it, the less you think about using it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe playing your guitar, keeping a recorder nearby so that you might all of a sudden have something come to your head and instead of stopping and writing, you can dictate it. And then oh, go yeah. back oh, and write it later. Yeah. yeah, that's what I do because it's yeah. it, otherwise it's gone with the wind. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and uh, yeah, but the dialogue you were talking about yeah. the dialogue. I'm mm-hmm. uh, as, as much as I've written dialogue I, or stories. I kind of I'm kind of a dialogue driven writer. I love to mm-hmm. write dialogue. Yeah, because it makes like I can hear the voices in, in my head, yes. like mm-hmm. and talk. But I would. Uh, I don't know, but you you already answered many of my questions. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but it was wonderful because it's uh, it's always great to share and the feedback. You like the, on the classes where I, I was once on a class, like editing others' uh, writings and giving feedback in a constructive way. It's helpful. Yeah, sure. What I wanted to know, what do you think is the difference between editing and revising? I'm a fan of constructive revising. It's a you know, great learning yeah. tool and a great teaching tool. It is. You know, it depends on, on the type of writing, you know, for mm-hmm. technical manuals and things like that. Um, you know, that's really just editor based. You know, mm-hmm. revising is <sighs> revising. People don't understand that you're not changing the tone and the voice right. of the person's work. Yes. Right. Um, right. You know, it, it's a very slippery slope. You need, yeah. you need somebody who is a very skilled editor and who does well with directing revising to run a workshop like that. And mm-hmm. I personally will tell you, I'm not that person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. Do you want to give information? Anthony Corona on all socials. And I will be launching a Sunday edition page very soon. So I will share that when it's Good. when it's up and running. And you can find Sunday edition mm-hmm. on all your major podcasts. It's Sunday edition with Anthony Corona. Um, and hopefully mm-hmm. you'll have me back when my, when my book comes out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, absolutely. Are you kidding? And if anybody wants to, too, they can always contact us or a or community at ACB to get a hold of Anthony. And before we close out, I just want to say thank you again, you Anthony, to everyone who's here, who's participating and Kathy out there, wherever she's traveling. <laughs> and I'm having a blast because I'm the pantser and I'm having fun just going off the cuff. We love all of you. We're so glad you're here and We always want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So next up is Marlene. And did you give the um, prompt? Oh, Oh. Oh. Kathy's going to be like, you forgot the prompt. Sorry, I I forgot too. That's okay. That's fine. Um, See, because I didn't look at my script. I had it written there. Labor Day. Labor Day. We'll put it out there too. Labor Day. Mm Mm-hmm. People will be emailing us. So what about, you know, about your Labor Day weekend, what it's to you. Um, it could be something, the holiday, it could be the end of the summer or the. the How many the words? Moments. 75. I'll give you 75. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good number, right? That's better than 50. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. 
a tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.